0: Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend. How are you? No, I mean, really, how are you? I hope you are blissful. I hope you're brilliant. If you're just feeling fine, maybe you need to shut this podcast off and go listen to some great music to get you in a better mood, but hopefully um, I can help you with this. I want to talk today about conversations, and this was inspired by my clients who right now are working on mid-year performance reviews. Aren't those so fun where you um, You get to decide what you're going to say to people about how they're doing at work. Um, You get to think about how to phrase the uh, stuff you want them to do better without freaking them out. Um, And you get to prepare to be in those conversations yourself as the receiver from your manager. So for most people, this is not a fun thing to do. Um, You're gonna hear some things from your manager that you may not want to hear, and things you may not agree with, things that your manager thinks you need to do differently. So which statements do you think are going to stand out most for people when they are in these conversations? Is it going to be the 90% positive, glowing, rave reviews? Or is it going to be the couple of things that, eh, maybe not going so well? from experience, I can tell you in my mind, it would be the things that aren't going so well that I would hook onto. And that is what most people do. So think about just in your life, not in performance reviews. What do you remember the most? Do you ruminate on a compliment somebody gave you? I hope so. That would be a beautiful thing. But most of the time, we ruminate on times when somebody criticizes us. Maybe it was a teacher who told us we'd never measure up, or a parent who wondered why we couldn't behave like our sibling, um, or told us we were lazy. Those things have a way bigger impact on our brain and our bodies, and it has to do with our body's neurochemistry. When we face criticism, when we feel marginalized, misunderstood, minimized, our bodies produce higher amounts of cortisol. And as you know by now, that is a stress hormone. And it shuts down the thinking center of our brain, prefrontal cortex, and it ratchets up the pain center of our brain, the dorsal anterior cingulate circuit. And it activates either conflict aversion or defensiveness, aggression. And often very little judgment was intended from the other person but we magnified it and feel more judgment than we need to. The bottom line is we take it personally, we store it, and we feed it by ruminating on it so it grows. And the effect of cortisol can last 26 hours or more. The more you think about it, the more you're feeding it, repeating it, giving it attention, the longer it lasts. And that is why it is so easy to get hooked and ruminate on a story and so hard to shake it off. So you might want to go listen to the Taking It Personally podcast if you haven't done that already and the the Grudge podcast. Um, so many of my podcasts, I talk about um, tools to help you let go of things. But you need to respect the body's chemistry and knowing this can help you see, oh, that's why I'm still holding on to this. I just need to let go of Again and again and again until I have broken through the cycle. So, positive comments, the good news is they also create a chemical reaction and one that feels good because it produces oxytocin, the neurochemical that's produced when we feel connection to others. I just got back from a lovely hike with my dog, and um, almost the entire time when I wasn't listening to salsa music, I was talking to my stepmother, and we just had a lovely leisurely conversation, and I thought, huh, I feel really good. I've got a lot of oxytocin running through me. We can also feel serotonin, the hormone associated with feeling respected and important when somebody compliments us. I want to talk a little bit about some research Judith Glazer did. She's amazing. Um, Of her six books, one of them is Conversational Intelligence that's Conversational Intelligence by Judith Glazer. Highly recommend it. And she also wrote an article on Harvard Business Review called The Neurochemistry of Conversations. And she did some research with managers to understand what behaviors they were bringing into conversations with their direct reports. And here were the behaviors that produces produced oxytocin in those conversations. And some of these are barely even behaviors they're more of intentions and feelings that somebody got and sensed through subtle behaviors and sometimes overt behaviors the first one was concern for others so if you are just talking to somebody and you can tell they are caring about you you are going to be able to handle that conversation much better than if you sensed they didn't care about you i know it seems pretty basic But um, something to remember when you go into a conversation where you are frustrated with somebody, being truthful about what's on their mind was another one. People can tell when you're not truthful when you're holding something back. So this was another thing that produced oxytocin. So people can handle your truth. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about more about how to share your truth, which is still probably subjective, and they may not agree with it. But when it's backed with concern for others you're going to get oxytocin produced. The next one, the third behavior was curiosity and asking open questions to stimulate discussion. That's how you can tell someone is curious. Interestingly enough, even if you're not curious, but you are taking the time to ask good questions with a curious tone, it still works. And I tell my clients to do this all the time. Just use my aloha questions and statements tool, pick a few questions, Write them down, don't expect to remember them, and ask them and then ask follow-up questions like, what else? Because people don't encounter curiosity very often. They encounter people who think they know what's going on. The fourth behavior was to paint a picture of mutual success. So instead of telling somebody what they need to do because it's what you want them to do, um, what's in it for them? What does success look like for for both of you and for the organization and the department? Particularly for them, you care about their success. And then the last behavior that was oxytocin producing was just being open to difficult conversations, being open to hearing their side, not rushing the conversation just to get out of it because you were were uncomfortable. The next behaviors I want to talk about are the cortisol producing behaviors. And the first one has to do with trust, and it's simply not trusting. Others' good intentions. If you can't find a good intention, you're going to have a very hard time having this conversation because people are going to sense that you are judging them and think they have mal intent. So sometimes the good intention may be, you know, they just want to keep their job or, you know, they didn't tell you something because they were afraid. Find some good intention you can assume the other person has. The next behavior was, oh, I'm just chuckling because this one is so common, and that is focused on convincing. Telling and telling and telling, and instead of being curious, trying to convert the other person to agree with us. Cortisol producing. 26 hours in your system. The next one is pretending to listen. Listen. I know I said you can fake curiosity because you can use the right tone, ask her it, but you cannot fake listening. People can tell if you are not listening. So don't even try it. If you don't have time or if you're too distracted, schedule the conversation for another time. And then the last one was experiencing emotions that detract from listening. So if you're getting impatient, if you're getting angry, uh, if you're getting judgmental, Those are going to detract from listening, and again, they're going to be able to sniff that out. So Judith Glazer, she did a self-reported study, so she literally asked managers, which of these behaviors do you do, and how often do you do them? Now, these managers said that 85% of the time, they're doing both. Both the positive, an assortment of the positive, oxytocin-producing behaviors, and the cortisol-producing behaviors. They also said they're doing more of the core, um, oxytocin behaviors, which again, this is self-reporting, I hope it's true. Um, but if you're doing both, it doesn't really matter how many of the good behaviors you're doing because it creates a dissonance an uncertainty and the brain hates uncertainty and most brains still have negativity bias. So they're gonna focus on the bad things you're doing and not the good things. So, you can imagine how important it is for you to get in the right mindset before having an important conversation. And I am not suggesting that you never give critical feedback or demand results, even though some people do suggest that's the case. I recently read a popular and uh, controversial article in Harvard Business Review that said you should only give. Confirming feedback about what people are doing well. You should only focus on what's going well and their strengths. You can only focus on what's working and not mention what's not working. I think that's not true. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Now, um, I do think we should focus on what is working more often than what's not working, and I think we need to think about how the person likes to receive it and whether it's worth it and. Do we have trust? That is the one situation where I say, don't give feedback. If this person does not trust you, they will not hear it. They will go to somebody else they do trust and get a different story, and they're going to believe that one. So you got to build trust before you can have a real truthful conversation with somebody. So I want to talk about how to give the feedback. First of all, I truly believe that if somebody has something that is derailing their success and harming their reputation, it is harmful to keep that from them. So I love praise. I mean, I I really love it, especially when it resonates with what matters to me most in the world. Um, One of those things is using people's time well. So when people tell me I actually helped them change and that it was worth spending the time um, I love, love hearing that. I love hearing that I was kind and that I was funny. Um, but here's the thing. In my life, I can think of at least four pieces of feedback that you know, some were hard to hear, some weren't, some just cracked me up, but they were so important. And the thing about how this feedback was given, it wasn't necessarily given gracefully, but it was given with the intention of helping and it was given with the assumption that there was brilliant potential in me. And this little thing was keeping me from achieving that. So I'll share, I'll share the four that they were. Um, one was very long ago, early in my career. I was afraid of public speaking, which kind of cracks me up now. But um, I was just normal, afraid of public speaking. And I didn't know my strengths. I didn't have the how-tos. So I was lucky enough to have an incredible teacher come in at Oracle, where I worked and you know it was the typical take a video of you you watch the painful video you get feedback you know the typical stuff but this guy was so good at figuring out what everybody's uh strength was and for me he said that I was I had an edge and I loved that he meant you have this wit about you when you speak you have this authenticity this wit this kind of fearlessness in your message and I loved it he, and then he also said, and you have spaghetti arms. I said, excuse me? He said, well, let's look at the video. And he was right. I had spaghetti arms. I dangled my arms by my side, and I would go to and fro. It was ridiculous. Um, I had no idea that I had spaghetti arms. So um, huge gift. Uh, the other one I've talked about on this podcast before, when uh, the person who would become my future manager told me that I was perceived as intimidating and notice, he said, "I was perceived as intimidating." Not that I was intimidating. He says, "I understand how your brain works, and I don't think you're trying to be intimidating." So again, assuming positive intent, cortisol producing, even though I'm being told something that is anathema to who I want to be. Um, probably the funniest feedback. Well, there's two, um, but I remember one when I started out in or- at Oracle. I was so I was a poor student. I mean, I had. I had no two pennies to rub together, and um, I had forgotten that I had this really ugly stained front tooth. It's like a half and half tooth um, that was repaired poorly when I was a child, and um, I just didn't even think about it, and I remember when the controller of the company came up to me, pointed at my tooth, and says, you know, we have a dental plan. Now, people get horrified when I tell them that, and for me... I just started cracking up and I thought, oh my gosh, I, for the first time in my life, I have a dental plan. Oh my gosh, I can afford to get my tooth fixed. So huge gift because that was what people first saw when, when I was speaking to them and it could be a huge distraction. Uh, More recently, I have a very direct editor and book writing coach. And she was, um, if she praised you you felt were really darn good because this woman had no filter. You were going to get the truth. And I remember I sent her a chapter, and um, I had struggled with this chapter. And she said to me, what the hell happened to you? This chapter reads like an eighth grade textbook. (laughs) Uh, At first, I felt like an arrow had stabbed me through the heart, and then I just cracked up because it did. She was absolutely right. And then she said, "You forgot your ideal reader. You forgot who you were talking to. You lost your voice." I'm like, "Oh!" And she didn't tell me how to rewrite it. She just gave me that feedback, and I could go back. And with that feedback, it all worked. <laughs> so, um, it was a huge gift. And again, it she was saying, "You're a brilliant writer. What the hell happened? This is not congruent with who you are." It wasn't uh, criticizing me as a writer. He was criticizing the actual product I had created, which was very worthy of criticism. So my struggles, my clients struggle with giving this type of feedback. When you have a good relationship with somebody, it is so much easier. When somebody's self-aware, it's so much easier. But this is not necessarily intuitive. We have a lot of fears about this, and we have a lot of stories and worries about what could go wrong. This topic comes up a lot in my coaching and in my group calls. I love it when this comes up because um, invariably somebody on the call has figured it out how to do this and is giving people tips um, that they can really relate to. So last week I had a gentleman who had come back from being on leave and he realized that it was time for him to have a conversation with somebody who was failing in his job and everybody can see it. Now this is not an incompetent person, he just happens to be failing in this job. He has other strengths that he's not able to use in this job. Now the normal practice in corporate America is to put him on a demoralizing performance improvement plan, um, euphemism pip, um, which sounds like a happy little thing and it's definitely not. And you hope that six months down the road, he either quits, goes to another department, And if not, you fire him and hope that he doesn't sue you because you checked all the boxes. So my client really didn't want to go down that path. So he decided he needed to have a conversation to find out what's going on. So he got in the right mindset. He was in a curious mindset. He was also, um, you know, he's not the most emotive guy, my client, um, but he got in, but he has a big heart and he got in that good heart space. And he started the conversation with, hey, I sense that you're not happy in this role and things don't seem to be going very well. And then he said, tell me what's up. That's it. That was how he started the conversation. I am constantly trying to get people to be succinct. If you go back and listen to the feedback episode... It is so important that you plan ahead, you get in the right mindset and you make it short because if you're blabbering on for a long time, they aren't hearing you and you are probably saying something that will confuse the message or really uh, undo what you wanted to say in the first place. So he was concise. He didn't make a big deal of it. it, And guess what? The guy kind of broke down and opened up and told him what was going on. And he got emotional. That was a gift to my client. It was a, I have been holding this in, and finally somebody is willing to have a conversation with me about this. He knew he was failing. He wasn't happy. So they had a really productive conversation. He got to let it out, and then they got to talk about, hey, let's talk about what you really want to do, what you're good at, what you excel at. And then they got to talk about, well, here are some opportunities we already have. And this wasn't a case of just, you know, um, passing somebody on who's an underperformer. It was finding the right fit for somebody who had been reorged into a job that he didn't belong in, and it was hurting him and his ego and his confidence. And um, so they're onto a better path. All because my client kept it simple, he kept it compassionate, and he kept it curious, and he used language like "I sense." And that's what's so important. That article I told you about where um, he said nobody should ever give any corrective feedback because it's all subjective. Yes, sometimes it is subjective. I'm sorry, spaghetti arms, it was not subjective. It was just, it was on video. It was captured. It was a fact. So you have to stick with facts. You have to be honest about what is not a fact. Like, I sense that you're not happy in this role. I mean, the guy could have been unhappy about something else, but he used I sense language. If you tell somebody you're not happy, even if they're not happy, they don't like being told that because you're making an assumption about them that may or may not be true. So it can be hard to be empathetic when somebody is doing a terrible job, when somebody is not following instructions that you feel like you've given them 12 times, and when it's affecting the morale and workload of everybody else, whether it's morale in a family, uh, morale in the office. So it is so important to get prepared and notice what your mindset is. And you can just ask yourself three questions to get in the right mindset. What assumptions am I making? What emotions am I having about this? And how can I listen well? Then you need to get in their mindset to the best that you can even just getting curious about them. And I suggest you ask these three questions. What might they be thinking and feeling? What could their good intention be? And what could be going on for them? You don't have to know. You just need to get in that curious mode of, I wonder what is keeping this amazing person, because we're all amazing at something, what is keeping this amazing person from doing an amazing job? And by the way, The most important conversations are the ones you have with yourself. So please make a practice of telling yourself nice things about yourself and make a practice of ruminating on statements, mantras, that create happy chemicals in your brain so you are more clear, more courageous, and you feel better. I'll give you a couple. You are unstoppable. And you got this. Oh, and by the way, every cell in your body is filled with divine light. So feel free to use any of those. Or come up with your own. Thank you for listening. Again, I said this at the end of last, uh, last week's podcast. If you want to be coached by me on this podcast, send me an email to denise at brillianceinc.com with your situation. We will um, not have to mention your name or who you are in the world. You can keep that anonymous if you like. And you will not only find freedom and peace and get unstuck, but you will be helping so many other people do it. And I'm going to pick the situation that I think is most relevant to people. And if you haven't checked it out, please check out work-lifebrilliance.com. Work-lifebrilliance.com. The website, I've got a product there that will just, it's so amazing. It has so many different aspects. You're going to learn the STEER model. You're going to apply it to your life. You're going to learn how to apply it to relationships, apply it to how to achieve a goal. Um, lots of good stuff in there. And then I, I threw in, I don't even know why I did this because it's so valuable. That's my favorite, um, my most popular topic that I speak about. And that is how to say no with grace, not guilt. You get it all for $99, which costs less than a pair of shoes. And, um, and you can return it if you want, if, it's, if it wasn't valuable for you. That's it for today. Choose courage, my friends. Thanks for spending this time with me. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.